Are you serious? <laughs> I was testing. I didn't think you would hear it. We did. Uh, hello. Hello. Hi. We, we for some reason don't just start recording when we should start recording and instead we listen through the theme song every time. Um, and then Sid decides it's a good idea to pop her knuckles directly into the mic. It's fine. I forgive you. Oh, good. I only care about Becca's approval. Yes. Well, that's fair, I guess. I don't know. I, I care about Becca's approval more than anybody else, so... I love having the power of giving people approval or not. <laughs> yeah? Yeah. Do you approve of the movie we watched today? Um, oh, yes. more coming up. Oh, you gave it away. Now people have no reason no. to listen. I what? don't know. Well, there's like, there's a lot. So that's why there's an um. Oh, there is an um. Yes. So it's um, yes, is my answer. I see. Um, well, hello, and welcome to episode 57 of We Watch Movies and Then Talk About Them, the only podcast on the internet where we watch a movie and then talk about it. There may be others where other people watch movies and then talk about them, but this is the only one where we do it. My name is Andrew Westensko. I am the host of this here podcast, joined at my right hand in life and in all things by Becca. Hi. How are you? I'm good. That's good. But also not, so it's fine. Oh, okay, great. Um, and to Becca's right hand and my left, due to the circular nature of our table, is Sid. Hey. Hey. Uh, bringing it back, okay? We got an old school throwback here. Uh, I'm not sure if our, our equilibrium has moved up the scale at all. Where are we sitting today on the existential dread scale? Oh, wow. We haven't done that in a hot minute. Um, I mean, given the world that we live in... As I'm saying, I feel like the, the baseline is probably bumped up in the oh, last yeah. Yeah, few definitely. months. I feel like today has been a pretty relaxed day. So I think my baseline before was like 70. Okay. I don't know. I'd say it's around 80 now. Oh, okay. So a decent a decent bump in the oh, yeah, in the sure. scale. Um, okay. But today I'd say I'm like 82. Okay. Yeah. All right. So we... Because we, our baseline before I think was 65. Was so it? Our, yeah. Okay. So, so our baseline has gone up five. You know, this existential crisis radar is hard to manage. <laughs> <laughs> and it doesn't mean much, but it's fine. It really doesn't. It's just kind of arbitrary numbers, I think. Yeah, yeah 80 out of 100. I just, I Existential just dreads. A high oh, right. number and go with it. Yeah. Cool. Um, that's a thing. Uh, there's another thing in movie news. Uh, Christopher Nolan is very dedicated to releasing his movie Tenet in theaters. Um, he released the official trailer, not the teaser, which I suppose is different. I don't know. I thought the teaser was quite good, mm -hmm. uh, like the original one. I was very intrigued by it. Yeah. I didn't want to watch the official trailer. I didn't watch it. Um, but I broke because I'm like actually really stoked for this movie. I think that... Uh, I mean, we did an episode on it, so you can go listen, but I think that Dunkirk was some of Nolan's best work. Um, but I am also stoked to see him return to the like wacky sci-fi weirdness of something like Inception or Interstellar or even, uh, you know, like Memento or The Prestige, kind of the mind-bending stuff, which yeah. is what he seems to be getting into. Uh, uh, there's something I want to tell you, but I'm not sure if I should. It won't ruin anything. Tell us. That I learned from the trailer. Okay. 
Uh, Robert Pattinson's character is English. Yes. And kind of jovial. Yes. I am just, I'm so excited for this movie for people to wake up and realize that Robert Pattinson is a good actor. I've got a lot of my own personal credibility writing on his performance in Tenet and The Batman. Um, because I, I, you know, people know that I like movies. Uh, so they, they'll ask me, you know, what's your favorite movie? And then I tell them a bunch of movies they never heard of. Um, and that's not me trying to be like a dick, but like, I'm like, oh, I really like the tree of life and Blade Runner 2049. And, uh, they're like, isn't that one really slow? I'm like, oh, yes, but it's gorgeous and beautiful. They're usually like, oh, I got 10 minutes into that and then I passed out. Right. <laughs> and then they say, well... Well, give me one movie that I haven't heard of that I would like. And pretty much without a fail, I tell them good time. Um, because that movie is a gem and a gift. An uncut gem? Um, I think it's it's uh, a, definitely a cut gem. But I understand what the reference is doing there. Yeah, <laughs> okay. I, It didn't fall on deaf ears. I didn't ears. quite think it through. I just spat it out. I, I think it's a quite refined gem. I think that it's, it's, okay. it's a very tight runtime in that movie. It is. Um, but point being is they're like, well, what am I going to like about it? I'm like, well, Robert Pattinson is incredible. And they say, isn't he the Twilight guy? He's terrible. He's a bad actor. I'm like, no. Best working actors today, since apparently Daniel Day-Lewis is retired, I guess. He said that he was retiring after Phantom Thread, and there hasn't been any peeps. So, um, but I say it's, it's between Joaquin Phoenix and Robert Pattinson. I think that's fair. And people think I'm crazy. People think I'm crazy when I say um, Kristen Stewart is a good actress. She's a very good actress. She, you have to get her in the right role with the right director, and she's fantastic. I haven't seen her in the right role with the right director yet, so I can't I can't comment on that. Have you seen Personal Shopper? No, that's one that I want to see. It's quite good. Yeah? Yeah. I've heard some pretty good things. I've seen um, two things that I've seen her in that were pretty good were Camp X-Ray and Still Alice. I've never even heard of either of those. Um, Camp X-Ray is, um, she's like in the army and she's working in um, like an internment camp for, I guess, suspicious characters like in Iran. That sounds pretty gross. Um, it's a it's a rough movie, but she's pretty good. And then Still Alice is the one with Julianne Moore where she has early onset dementia. And she's one of her daughters. Oh, okay. So, she definitely, like, gets crap because of Twilight. She's not... She, okay, I'm not defending her in Twilight. She's not good in Twilight. Well, if anything, Twilight shows us that, like, a director has a huge influence. Oh, yeah. Because, like, it's like he asks for terrible performances. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah no, none she, of the performances are good. Yeah. Both... <clears throat> I will die on my grave. My headstone will say Robert Pattinson and Kristen Stewart deserved it better. They did, but at the same time, um, I'm glad that those movies exist uh, because things like you know Harry Potter and the Twilight series um, gave us these actually quite talented actors. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, I, Daniel Radcliffe kind of didn't have a choice but to turn out to be a talented actor because I'm sure he had just had millions and millions in acting coaches. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you you turn out these really quite skilled actors, and uh, specifically Daniel Radcliffe, uh, Robert Pattinson. Kristen Stewart, and to an extent, um, Emma Watson. Mm-hmm. She's good. I think, again, she's she's definitely more free and loose with the roles that she takes yeah. compared to the other ones. But basically, you get these these kind of three teen heartthrob actors who have been able to take on these just wacky, weird, artsy roles, do whatever the F they want. Mm-hmm. 
and Robert Pattinson, it feels weird. Like he was huge in Twilight and he was in Harry Potter as well. And then it feels like he, he like had his big break and then went through the normal career of like clawing his way through the, the like indie film scene. And now he's coming into these big blockbusters. Cause like, I don't know. I'm, I'm stoked for Tenet specifically to be a reintroduction for people to Robert Pattinson. Yeah. And, and the reason this whole thing came up is, is I'm watching the, the trailer for Tenet. Like I said, he's English, which one, I was like, what on earth? I don't think I've ever heard him be English. And two, he's not like a stoic. He's like really animated and upbeat. Mm-hmm. Because all of the shots in the teaser trailer <clears throat> are just him and... Uh, John David Washington kind of staring brutally at each other. Yeah, because there's no <laughs> real time for them to have their personality show through. Right. And I am also excited for John David Washington. I wasn't mm-hmm. super thrilled with his performance in Black Klansman. Um, mostly, I think his voice did me in, in that movie. That yeah. I was like, you should just... Where is Denzel? Like, you sound literally exactly the same. And also, I just wasn't in love with that movie in general. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, again, from the from the trailer, I think that the tone that the trailer is setting, if that's the same tone the movie goes for, which it makes sense because it would fit in with something like Inception. Um, the, the like kind of slower, almost drawly way that he's speaking when he, when he gives that line where he's like, to do what I do, mm-hmm. I need to know what kind of threat we face. I'm like, dude, that's exactly what you need to be doing here. Like yeah. that's going to put me right in the mood for this weird spy espionage stuff. Like I'm <laughs> in, I'm super in, I'm ready for tenant. I'm stoked. And maybe we'll get to go to the theater. Well, I mean, that's what I'm saying. He's he's very, very dedicated to it. Um, what I want to know is, you know, who am I going to have to bribe to see it in 70 millimeter? Because mm-hmm. Nolan, you know, as always, is huge on his film, mm-hmm. like shooting on film. And so it, even, in the, even in the trailer now, they're saying there's going to be special engagements in 70 millimeter. But I don't know how that's going to work. Um, I mean, we're going to the theater in a couple days mm-hmm. and they capped it at 20. Like, are they going to do, I, I guess for an IMAX theater, could you do like 60? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. You know what I mean? Um, but I'm, I'm stoked for it. I'm really excited to, to see Tenet. And it's weird because like everything is just kind of getting jacked up. Like there's no buzz out of cans for anything because it was canceled. Mm-hmm. Um, you know. And that is going to be the same thing for the major film festivals. You know, Venice, Toronto, they're all going to be canned. Sundance didn't really produce anything great this year, from what I can tell. Yeah. So like, there's no buzz around anything yeah. at it's this weird. point. So it's Oscars like, are going to be weird. That's what I'm saying. Like, at this time last year, we were like, ooh, give me Midsummer, give me Parasite, give me Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Like, it's crazy. Yeah, it's weird. That's the crazy thing. I think we saw Parasite for the first time like almost exactly a year ago. I think it was the end of May that we saw it. I thought it was like no. August. It, it was September. Was it August? It was later. Was yeah. it? Yeah. What did we see in May? Uh, once upon, nah. No, because that... Or maybe Avengers. it was... Once Upon a Time was... Ju- or June was midsummer. Yeah. And then Once Upon a Time And that kind of kicked July. everything off. Yeah. Yeah, because it went... It went midsummer went... Oh, Midsommar. I'm sorry, Ari. <laughs> Get it right. I'm sorry. So. Um, but yeah, it's, it's weird. Like there's just like, I'm stoked for Tenet and the French Dispatch. And that's literally all I know that's coming out this year. Yeah. So who knows? I mean, maybe the Oscars is just going to be like Tenet and the French Dispatch. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I'm sure that they'll find movies, but 
I, it'll be weird. It'll yeah. be weird for sure. Yeah. Well, maybe we'll get more like indie movies up there getting awards or we'll just get bad movies getting awards well that's the other side is like maybe it's just trolls world tour gets nominated for best director or something i don't know i mean hey if it's worthy of it i say go at it right i mean yeah i don't want to rule it out maybe maybe it's the next paddington too and i just haven't given it a shot although i highly doubt it existential dread just went down to 70 just by saying paddington (laughs) too uh we also have a a a wonderful episode on paddington too (laughs) That you can go check out. It'll yeah. really help you in these rough, rough times. Paddington Two is a joy of a film. Uh, it really is. I think that my my de stressors would be like Paddington Two and John Wick. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those are like major. Could you imagine the two mesh together? <laughs> I think like, that's just. I think that's just Ted. Oh shoot! You're right. <laughs> um, I don't want that. Apparently, have you seen Ted? No, I am not a fan of whatever the guy's name is mark Wahlberg. no <laughs> mcfarland oh McFarlane, yeah. here's the thing i i i had no interest and then IndieWire put it on their list of the top 100 films of the 21st century so far really it's so like from 2000 wow. to now it was on their list mm-hmm. and i was like is it is it good like it looks terrible mm-hmm. i mean from looks i mean like it seems like a stupid idea yeah i haven't like seen a trailer or anything for it <laughs> but yeah it was interesting I forget what they call... I think they put Moonlight at number one. Mm. No, There Will Be Blood was number one wow. on their list. Mm. That's an accidental segue. How? How are you going to link this? How am I going to link this while well, you just sit right there in your chair? Okay. There Will Be Blood came out in 2007, which caused a hotly contested race for Best Picture and most of the big Oscars between There Will Be Blood and the Coen Brothers 2007 adaptation of the Cormac McCarthy novel, No Country for Old Men. Wow. You did it. Look at me go. Wow. I get us off task, and then I bring us right back. Good job. Uh, but yeah, that's uh, that's what we're talking about today. We're talking about the Coen Brothers, uh, No Country for Old Men. We did There Will Be Blood uh, like a year ago. That's one of my favorite movies of all time. Eh. I need to give it a rewatch. Well, actually, I probably do too. I think I'd I mean, like it better. Here's the thing, Becca. It, everybody has that director that they just don't care for, and for some reason, unknown to anybody, uh, Becca has chosen her director that she doesn't like to be Paul Thomas Anderson. Yes, but it wasn't like I specifically chose Paul Thomas Anderson. I just haven't enjoyed any of his movies. Uh, and listeners out there, in case you're wondering, yes, she has seen The Master. Yes. I didn't love it. One of the absolute gems of modern film. Still haven't seen that one. You haven't seen it no, either. It's coming up on my list. Good. But I just, from what I've seen from Paul Thomas Anderson, Becca, you're wrong. <laughs> okay. You didn't really make a statement, but you're wrong. <laughs> okay. Um, Here's the thing. Everybody's nope. got that... that, that the, the film that's supposed to be amazing or the director that's supposed to be amazing, they're not impressed by. So you get a pass because you get one, right? Okay. And you if you want it to be Paul Thomas Anderson, I I guess you can have it be Paul Thomas Anderson. Okay. Um, but we do need to rewatch Phantom Thread soon. Yeah, see, I think all of them I will like better on a second viewing, but it's hard for me to want to watch it again because I didn't love it the first time. That's a fair point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So, but I am interested in watching Phantom Thread again because I think it's really 
a cool plot, but it's so slow. <laughs> well, yeah, that's his style. I know. I don't like it. Yeah. And I can watch slow movies. It just, for some reason, his slow style, I can't handle. And that one even is, I think, well, because there's not really any action. It's just a lot of talking. It's just like the last 20 minutes. I love it. And then the, the first. Freaking, the, oh, the ending of Phantom Thread is so, so unbelievably good. good. And I got to tell you, though, freaking as long as we're staying off topic, because who gives a crap? Um, this is our podcast. Yeah, we talk about what we want. And apparently today that's Paul Thomas Anderson. <laughs> um, no. So uh, the freaking New Year's party in Phantom Thread is like some of the most gorgeous film that I have ever laid eyes on. The color palette in that freaking sequence with all the balloons and the camera movements in there and how just the way that the camera expresses what's going on in his mind is just so freaking brilliant. Like just what an incredible sequence. Okay. So that <laughs> it makes me laugh because it's, I want to do it so bad. Um, my ex, his background on his computer was that scene and he, I was like, Oh, that's a good movie. And he's like, I've never seen it. I was how have you never seen it? He's like, I don't want to see it. I don't want it to ruin what I think this picture is. Mm. And now that we're broken up, I really want to tell him what it is and just <laughs> ruin it for him. <laughs> so I'm still debating over that. Do it. So stay tuned. I fully stay support tuned. anything you do. Oh okay. <laughs> Whatever it is, Becca's on your side. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Sounds good. All I need is Becca. Yep. Uh, yeah, but no, and that that movie, like, there's so many scenes in that movie that are just stuck in my head. Mm-hmm. Even I think I've only seen it once. I think we saw it in the theaters, and you refused to watch it with me again since then. Yep. But like the ending mm-hmm. where she's making the soup, so freaking brilliant. I love that. Yeah. And I think that's what made me like it because this the whole movie I was just sitting there and I was just kind of bored. And then once we got to the end, I was like, "Oh, this is what's happening. This is great." Um. Oddly enough. Well, I don't know if I want to stop talking about Paul Thomas Anderson, but that's also a pure, <laughs> like, really good segue into talking about country for old men. Do it. Okay. Uh, maybe we'll just have to do, like, a Paul Thomas Anderson retrospective, and I'll make you watch all the movies again. I would actually love that. Let's do it. I would hate we should, that. We should. But, hang on. Okay. You know what? I would ask the listeners, but nobody actually ever responds when I ask <laughs> for listener true. feedback. So, screw you, listeners. We're doing what we want. We should try that, though. We should pick. We should do, like, one where we pick a director. Okay, then we need to do David Cronenberg. Do you know how many movies he has? Well, just the ones that we have. <laughs> <laughs> we could just do like five. We could do, yeah, we could do like 80s Cronenberg. Yes. Because his filmography definitely goes in stages. Um, that would be a bummer, though, if Sid isn't into that. That's true. Yeah, I still haven't seen any Cronenberg. So we could. I wish you had a Blu ray player because I would just like send you with homework. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> I'll watch some. I'm scared, though. I would watch, like, The Fly is a really good start. Mm-hmm. The, like, The Fly or Scanners. Okay. Well, you could just come over and watch it with us sometime. That's true. Yeah. Like, anytime you want, you just come over and watch That's Cronenberg. We, ha- we, like, we will watch Cronenberg at the, do- at the drop of the You guys of the wake up in the middle of the night, and I'm in your living room. <laughs> Watching Naked Lunch. Yeah, you guys are just we like, join you. You just come and sit by me. Yeah, we'd be like, <laughs> oh, be like, oh, are we watching Naked Lunch? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I guess you do know the code to our front door, so you really could just do that. (laughs) And then the next morning, we would wake up and think it was all a dream, because that's how I felt after watching Naked Lunch. The next day, I was like, did that happen? Or was that just a weird dream? I don't know. So yeah, let's do... We could do like 80s Cronenberg. We could do PTA. 
Wes Anderson. I feel like we've already done Wes Anderson. Well, we could do. We like we could fill in the gaps with Wes Anderson for sure. Um, yeah, we should talk about this though, because that's I think that's Did a really cool new? idea. Yeah, the evil new, because then we'd have to go watch French stuff. Yeah, French horrors, which I would be really excited for. Apparently, like Ansandi is like people rank that with his films, like as one of his best. Yeah. So I'd I'd like to see it. I mean, I really don't know anything before he came more international. Have you seen Enemy? Yes. Okay. I think that's his earliest. I I. Th- I feel like one. Prisoners came out before Enemy. I don't remember, though. Doesn't matter. It, those two are his, like, early ones. Yeah. Then we could just do a Jake Gyllenhaal and a Ryan Gosling episodes. Okay. I, I, I like the director focus more. But That's fine. No, I, th- I say we just go wherever we want with this. Yeah. I guess, Timothy yeah, Chalamet. who cares? <laughs> yeah. We'll just... Well, Timmy, we could actually do because he's only got a handful of movies. If we tried to do like a Gosling retrospective, give me a break. We'll we'll just choose the best one. We'd be starting out with Goosebumps. Is he in Goosebumps? Say Cheese and Die. Are you serious? (laughs) I watched it like two weeks ago. (laughs) Amazing. (laughs) That's hilarious. That's actually incredible. Okay. Well, speaking of movies that uh, uh, feel kind of slow and you don't really see the point of anything happening and then you get hit with a gosh darn gut punch at the end. Uh, there will be blood. Wait, no country what, for old what men. Movie? <laughs> no country for old men. I just can't stop talking about PTA. <laughs> Can you believe? I, I don't know who does their distribution. PTA is not in the Criterion Collection. That's ridiculous. It's a crime. Also, I was looking at um, you know, I have like my scratch off like top one hundred movie bucket list. Sure. No PTA. Really? Yeah. Maybe. They just hate him. Maybe they could have gotten rid of one of the 45 Spielberg that I anticipate they have on there. There are a few Spielberg. Not that I have anything against Spielberg. Yeah. But there were like definitely a few movies on there that I'm like, really? That's the top 100 movies? Okay. Citizen Kane. That is on there. Yeah, I'm sure it is. Yeah. (laughs) Bleh. I I guess, I don't know. I don't have anything. I've never seen it. (laughs) I just I mean, like, I get why it's on the top movie bucket list but here's the thing just because something did something first doesn't make it the best at it i can see it like yeah a movie bucket list i guess is different than the top 100 movies ever right you know so well and it's such a like where the f are you gonna find a ranking of the best 100 paintings ever yeah you know what i mean like it just doesn't make sense for there to be like a so-called definitive list yeah yeah but Which is like what like make. AMC tries to put out, yeah. where they're like these are the best, or like the Rolling Stone like best five hundred albums of all time. But like that's just someone's opinion, right? Like it's just taste at the end of the day. Like yeah. best one hundred sidewalk chalk drawings by five year olds. I don't know. <laughs> Let's start that. New podcast. New podcast. I don't know that many five-year-olds. We're just going to describe. Yeah, we'd have to find 105-year-olds to at least get one drawing each. I think I know two. Okay, well, that's a start. (laughs) All right. I don't know how to put out a casting call for five-year-olds, though, without... uh, We need (laughs) 105-year-olds. Yikes. Um, Okay. 105-year-old? Make that (laughs) a segue. Some old person. I heard you needed a (laughs) 105-year-old. No. Did you guys see the uh, the lady? I forget where she was. She was like 107, got coronavirus, recovered, and 
somebody posted a picture on their social media of this woman, again, 107 years old, recovered from coronavirus, drinking a Bud Light in her hospital bed. Because <laughs> 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 that's what she wanted to do to celebrate beating the coronavirus. Yeah, I want to beat that's her. That's amazing. I guess when you're 107, like, who gives a crap, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> I just thought that was amazing. The, the one thing she wanted to do was chug a Bud Light. <laughs> Um, no country for old men. How many times are we going to have to segue to it before we talk about it? Dude, we're just, we're spitballing here. This is fun. Yeah, I'm having a fun. good time. Me too. This is fun. Um, so yeah, so Coen Brothers, 2007 adaptation of the Cormac McCarthy novel. Cormac McCarthy, a novelist who is kind of infamously difficult to adapt. Um, have you guys ever read any Cormac McCarthy? Mm-mm. Nope. So I, what is his big famous one? That's not this. The Road? No, and not The Road. It, it's not made into a movie. Oh, I have no idea. Gosh darn it. What is it called? I totally forget. And I should have prepped this. I'm going to Google it really quick. Hang on. Prep? That doesn't sound like us. All right. We are getting some results here. Oh, what is the... I have no idea what this freaking book is called. It might have been Blood Meridian. I really don't remember, though. Uh, basically, I started reading a Cormac, a Cormac McCarthy novel. And, uh, yeah, it's it's weird. He writes, he has a very distinct writing style. Um, I guess here there's a, uh, there's a, a section on Wikipedia uh, dedicated to his writing style. Uh, McCarthy makes sparse use of punctuation, even replacing most commas with and. Um, he told Oprah Winfrey that he prefers simple declarative statements, and that he uses capital letters, periods, an occasional comma, and a colon, for setting off a list, but never semicolons. Um, he does not use quotation marks for dialogue, and believes there is no reason to blot the page with weird little marks. Um, and so, like, uh, what that leads to is he's he's a very engaging storyteller, though. Um, I'm just going to start using that for an excuse when my professor's like, you need some grammar and punctuation in here. It's like, the McCarthy style. Go tell that to Cormac McCarthy. I don't believe in that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't believe in blotting up the page with yeah. little marks. We'll agree to disagree. <laughs> but but again, he's a very he's a very engaging storyteller. Um, and everything just kind of flows. Again, like nothing is broken up with punctuation or quotation marks or anything like that. Like, so you have to kind of figure out who's speaking and when they're speaking and when it's internal dialogue versus like saying something out loud. And so what that leads to is a very, I guess, uh, like when generally when I read a book, and I don't know if this is true of most people, and I don't read very often, but generally when I read a book, it's almost like there's a film in my mind, right? Like I have a picture going on, mm-hmm. but what the, it, it does a weird thing to your brain, the way that he writes and that it, it comes out very nebulous. Like nothing is very solid. It's just kind of like things are happening. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, he's a very difficult to adapt uh, novelist just because of his writing style. Um, and again, especially this book from what I've read about it, uh, because so much of it happens basically inside of, uh, what is his name? The sheriff, uh, Ed Tom Bell. So much of it happens, uh, inside of his head and it's, uh, it's not always clear what's going on inside of his head. So again, like you have to, where there's something as concrete as film where like somebody actually has to say these things out loud if it's an actor, right? Like the Coen brothers have to take some, uh, I guess not liberties, but like there has to be a, 
uh, they have to decide on an interpretation of like when he's speaking and when he's not. Um, basically, and well, I guess I'm just talking about it now at this point, but um, yeah, very difficult to adapt, um, but very skillfully done. Uh, so here's how this is going to work. Uh, 30 minutes in, we're going to <laughs> have some hot takes, uh, which will be our short little opinions. Uh, then we will move on to general discussions. It will give us the best of the best of IMDb movie trivia. She read it all, so you don't have to. Uh, following that, we'll give our final thoughts and score out of 10, placing this movie on the Weston scale, the only definitive way to rank movies on a scale of 0 to 10. I usually say 1 to 10, but I guess a movie could be a 0. That's true. I don't know that I've ever seen a 0 movie. Yeah, and no. I seriously doubt we would watch it for right. the podcast. I feel like any movie requires some skills. Yeah. So. But as the Dean says in Community, it is good to know there's a floor on this thing. <laughs> um, so, let's jump in. Uh, don't burn yourself on these hot takes. Pekka, how hot is your hot take? It's pretty hot. It's pretty spicy. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, I think that this movie is a fantastic movie, but I'm not sure that I enjoyed it that much. So just like, like the first time I watched it, I didn't like it, I think, because I didn't totally get it, and I was left feeling kind of disappointed because it felt like things didn't wrap up the way I wanted them to. Um, but the second time watching them and, like, knowing how it ends, um, I was more prepared for that, and I was more prepared for what the story is actually about versus what we're watching. Um, so I think it's a very well-done movie, and I think it says some really important things, but... I found myself feeling a little bit bored throughout it and like it is easy to get lost in it and kind of confused and then the ending doesn't make sense if you don't know where it's going. So I think it's a good movie. I don't think I loved it. That's my hot take. Okay. Uh, Sid, how hot is your hot take? Um, it's warm. I don't know. Warm. <laughs> I don't know what counts as hot. It's really all just purely opinion. Okay, so it's it's <clears throat> just like uh, the existential crisis. Yeah, basically. Um, yeah, You're supposed to it's say it's really spicy so that people are excited. It's so <laughs> spicy. <laughs> Double spicy. Uh, click on this link to find out what I'm talking about. <laughs> Can you believe she rated this super spicy? Can you believe how hot Sid's hot take was? <laughs> Or, no, you won't believe. You won't believe. You won't believe how hot her oh hot take gosh. was. Anyway. Um, yeah, I, I liked this movie. I think this is the second time I've watched this. Um, I think me and Becca had a similar experience watching it the first time. Um, yeah, I found it very slow. Um, I do remember just, like, watching it on my laptop in my room and not really paying attention. So that wasn't a great way to start off. But, yeah, I did find it slow. Um, I found the ending, um, not very satisfying. Um, but I think the second time around, I liked it a lot more. Um, just kind of knowing, I think kind of something that I've also had to accept in a lot of Coen brother movies is sometimes there's just no resolution. Um, so I think watching this again and knowing more about the Coen brothers, I was more prepared for that. And I think the first time I watched it too, Probably the only other Cone movie I had seen was, like, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? 
So I was like, oh my gosh, the Coen brothers are so funny. That movie's so good. And then I watched this and it's very different. You watch Big Lebowski and No Brother Where Art Thou? Like, this is great. And then immediately watch Inside Lewin Davis and No Country for Old Men. (laughs) (laughs) So it was definitely different than what I was expecting. But second time around, I enjoyed it much more. I will say that it is still pretty slow and it kind of drags for me in the third act. Um, But still super good performances i just i love anytime roger deakins and the coen brothers get together yeah much better the second time for me or roger deakins and anybody for that matter mm-hmm. <laughs> the man can not can man, the man can do no wrong mm-hmm. <laughs> what's he working on right now i have no idea i don't know um in any case uh this is strange uh, this is one of those times where i feel odd because i wonder if we watched the same movie uh, I I think this movie is absolutely phenomenal. He's currently not working on anything. <laughs> Taking a break. Good old Raj. Um, yeah, I, I I think this movie is absolutely phenomenal. Um, I I don't even know that I have any nitpicks with it. I think it's just I think it tells uh, just an absolutely incredible story, and I think that it's brilliant in that the story that it like. It's so interesting because the the actual story and what the movie wants to communicate happens primarily off screen. Yeah. And we get just like these little hints of it, right? Like we only actually move the story forward every time that we uh, go back to Sheriff Ed Tom Bell, right? Mm-hmm. Who is the actual protagonist of this movie. Um, I think that a lot of people are tricked into thinking that it's Llewellyn. But it's not like he's scenery. He doesn't like in order to be a protagonist, in order to be a compelling character, there needs to be some sort of change. Right. And like none of the other characters change except for Ed Tom Bell. Yeah. So he has a journey and we just like we observe the the same things that he observes and we see how they affect him. And I think it's such a, a brilliant way to go about telling this story. Um, and it's, it's a, it's a story that is like soul crushing, but also like empowering at the same time, depending on, I guess, how you want to think about it. Um, and I think that's a really special thing to be able to do. I, I, I agree with Sid in the, uh, again, you know, kind of getting used to Coen brothers, like their movies, a lot of times tend to just end. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and I, I actually really like that aspect, yeah, but I have grown to like it better. That was one of my big complaints with um, Burn After Reading, as I was kind of just like it just like ends and then. Um, <laughs> That's the one that I was actually just thinking of. I think the end of that I mean, I great. I think I need to watch it again. I'm sure I would like it much more, but like I was just annoyed where it's J.K. Simmons just like telling you what happened. Yeah, and he's like, huh? So uh, just a bunch of idiots, right? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I definitely appreciate it much more now. I love, I love yeah. that movie. I, here's the thing. Like, I feel like I should rate the Coen brothers way higher than I do because I can't think of a movie of theirs that I've seen that I haven't just adored. Um, but I still haven't seen a lot of the classics. I haven't seen Fargo. I haven't seen Big Lebowski. I'm sorry, Joel and Ethan. Um, I really want to, but there's so many movies and they don't, they're not, they're not on my shelf. That's the problem. That's that is the real problem. Is if they were on my shelf, I would watch them. Maybe I just need to buy them because um, I'm sure they're good. 
Come on, brothers. But we also have a lot of movies on our shelf that we've never seen. We're whittling it down. It's it's just that we've taken an, an enormous detour in the form of Twin Peaks. That's true. But otherwise, we're whittling our movies down. Um, but yeah, uh, I, I think the, the the cinematography and this is gorgeous. I think the performances are incredible. Um, it's it's really surprising how good the movie is, considering that the Academy picked it for Best Picture. Um, but I guess they got there like once every five years choice right uh, as far as like a movie that deserves that because it was i mean they got this and then i don't know if they got another right pick until shape of water but you know 10 years later but i guess they're they're on an upward trajectory we got moonlight and we got parasite so what are you gonna do uh but yeah so my general hot take is that i'm i'm very spicy on this movie this is probably my fourth or fifth time seeing it um i i i quite enjoy this movie and i i hate that my instinct is to compare it to there will be blood just because that was kind of the big talk that year um as far as like which movie would take it yeah but they're very very different films mm-hmm. um and it's just incredible that we got both of them in one year also a crime that tommy lee jones wasn't nominated for supporting actor mm-hmm. um i think w- did javier bardem win supporting yes. actor yes he did okay He's brilliant as well. Totally unrecognizable. Are they all supporting actors? I think that Josh Brolin would technically be the lead. Okay. Um. Probably. I feel like. Well, no. He probably he has more screen time than Javier Bardem. But it really, it, it that is a completely like like uh, what am I? What's the word I'm looking for? I don't know. Like a pointless distinction. Because it's all what the production studio submits, right? Like the yeah. the production studio that submits to the Academy, they choose, they say like, for your consideration, Josh Brolin is lead actor, Javier Bardem is supporting actor, blah, 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 blah. Okay. So that would be my guess is they gave Josh Brolin lead and then uh, Javier Bardem supporting. Um, also, it was nominated for, so it won Best Picture, Best Supporting Actor, Best Director, Best Screenplay, uh, Cinematography, Uh, It was nominated for cinematography, editing, sound mixing, and sound editing. Wow. Um, Yeah. Which it lost uh, cinematography to There Will Be Blood and probably editing as well would be my guess. But yeah. Um, What am I saying? (laughs) This was a great year. Holy crap. Atonement and Juno both came out this year. Wow. Wow. That's crazy. I forgot about Juno. That's a good movie. Juno is a good movie. Yeah. Um, so let's, I guess, let's let's talk about it. Like, what what about? Because I think that again, this movie is almost like structured like a joke in that it's just build up, build up, build up, build up, build up, and then at the very end, you get a punchline, mm-hmm. and they just leave you on that punchline. Yeah. Right. And it, it, like every time that we see Tommy Lee Jones. the intensity inside of him continues to build until we hit that point at the end. And I, I think that when I say that the movie can be both soul crushing and empowering, like it just depends on how you take that last line. Mm -hmm. Right. So I guess what I, I, I want to get some more detailed thoughts on the end. Like, do you just find it unsatisfying or, um, so I think the things that are really great about this movie are also the things that make me not like it that much, which I know seems very contradictory and weird, but it's, it's for those reasons. It's that like 
this whole time we're watching this movie and expecting and thinking that it's just you know a drug deal gone wrong and a bunch of people chasing each other over money and killing each other over money and it's just like this action movie um which is what it's presented as but the whole story is going on behind but, e- the but even even the action i don't think is very actiony right it's all very like punctuated and gruesome and fast yeah and and that was actually another thing i was going to bring up is that like for the most part we don't see a lot of the action like we just like in the beginning we come up on the cars and the drug deal gone wrong already and like even in the end when like everything blows up like we don't see all of that action at the hotel at the end like we just come on it when it's over and that's because we're following the sheriff like we're not following these characters like we're following what the sheriff knows and we only know what the sheriff knows pretty much i don't i don't think that's explicitly true because we follow llewellyn pretty closely in a way that the sheriff could never know that's fair i i think that that moment i think that not showing the action at the hotel and not showing the shootout and all of that i think that's incredibly crucial for uh like our subconscious as far as kind of perceiving the narrative goes i agree that's like the narrative handoff right Mm -hmm. between like you know we're following llewellyn and then when when we're following uh the sheriff and then he shows up and this has already happened it's like oh okay now like now you're the main character when he's really been the main character all along Mm -hmm. but it's a i think it's a really clever like i said narrative handoff well and that's what i mean by like that's a really good interesting clever like it's a great way to tell a story but it's also what feels like a little bit frustrating to me and unsatisfying because i get so wrapped up in these really interesting characters um and like this really interesting villain and all of these things and like wondering what's going to happen who's going to come out on ahead like who's going to have the money and then literally none of that matters and i i see the importance of that and that's why i say like i think it's a very well done movie and it says what it's meaning to say really well but it just leaves me with this feeling like things aren't wrapped up and i just kind of oh okay now it's over and okay you know? Yeah, and I have a hard time, I guess, presenting another side to that other than, like, that frustration and that, like, eventuality of none of it mattering. Like, that just feeds into the themes of the movie. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, I, I get what you're saying because I agree. It is, it's unsatisfying to have, like, this character we've been following just die off screen. Yeah. Right? Um, but... Again, like the the idea that none of it matters, like fuels what the movie is trying to say. Yeah, and I totally get that. It's just that the experience of watching it all is not as satisfying as other movies for me. You yeah, know, like and- that's why I say it's a good movie, but I don't know how much I like it just because it doesn't feel satisfying to me in the way that a lot of other movies do. And I think that that ties back into, again, what we were talking about before, as far as just the Coen brothers style yeah. of like, they, it's a gutsy thing to just kind of have your movie end or to do something like this, like to, to intentionally make your audience feel unfulfilled. Yeah. Like it's a gutsy way to tell a story. 
and I, I guess the 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 risk they run is that people will just leave unsatisfied rather than like seeing that lack of satisfaction as like a, a positive and something to ponder on. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I don't know. I can I can both think a movie is good and not like it. I don't get that. Well, that's what I'm telling you. It's <laughs> fair. I guess everybody has their own way of thinking about things. <laughs> Other thoughts on the the ending, I guess. Um, I'm going to be honest. All of that flew over my head. Just the entire time we were watching it. Oh, really? I think... I don't know what... Maybe it's just because I'm kind of checked out today. But when it came to the long monologues, I was having trouble really paying attention and like piecing them together. And like, Me too. what does this mean? So... I think, especially because watching this the first time, I think coming into it second time, I mostly wanted to pay attention to like the the main story that they show you, and to appreciate that more. And so I don't think I was focused on apparently what the real story is. Um, but I mean, I like the ending. I it's a great line to end on. Um, I just wish that I paid attention. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, I think that, uh, I guess I'll give my thoughts on the ending. Like the, 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 the title of the film plays in so tightly to what it's trying to express. And that is like this idea that the world, and I guess not to sound too apocalyptic or whatever, but like the world is just on like a steady track downwards, basically. Like, things just continue to get worse little by little. And when you're young, you don't really see that because it's just the world, right? But as you grow older and as you start to see things change, um, it's really uh, the sheriff and his other buddy sheriff, uh, they refer to it as the tide, right? Just something that is totally unstoppable. And so... You know, you have Shiger, who, while an, uh, an interesting character, but even, I wouldn't even say interesting, because he's super, super, super one-dimensional. Mm-hmm. Like, he just goes around killing people. Like, you get in his way, he kills you. If you annoy him, he kills you. If you don't annoy him, he might just kill you. Like, and there's no consequence to it, and for some reason, like, he's, uh, like, an incredibly highly trained, very... uh uh, again, highly skilled person. And so you anticipate he's been doing this for a while and the police just can't find him. He even goes rogue from his handlers because he just like, doesn't feel like dealing with it anymore, apparently. So like, there's just no consequence to his actions. Right. I feel like that's kind of the whole point though. Well, right. Exactly. Like, and so he represents this tide, this like worsening of the world, this encroachment of evil into uh, society uh, like at large, right? Mm-hmm. And so you get these small little uh, monologues or offhand comments from Tommy Lee Jones as we go, but him saying like, I don't know what to do anymore, man. Like, I don't know how to deal with this. I don't know. Like, and when he goes and talks to, um, what's the name? Ellis, I think at the end. And Ellis is like, I heard you're quitting. Why are you quitting? He's like, I just feel outmatched. Like, 
you just can't keep up with it. And that like crushing feeling of like so much is going wrong. And it's like, it's, it's not even like you can point to a person and say like, this person is wrong. It's like the, the world is wrong and what do you do? Right. And then, um, you know, and he's, he's feeling all downtrodden. And then Ellis, I think that's his name. I really don't remember. Does that sound right? I have no idea. <laughs> what is his name? I don't remember. Um, yeah, Ellis. I had it right. So then Ellis tells this story of, uh, you know, uh, um, I think it was, I think it was, uh, the sheriff's grandpa, basically some, uh, I guess native Americans come up to his house and he had wronged them in some way or there was some dispute and they shoot him in his doorway and he dies. And like, just this idea of like, like stuff happening, I guess. And like he, the point that Ellis is making is like, you know, you're not, you're not, it's not you like, because that's, that's what the sheriff feels like is like, I can't stop this. Like I am, I am responsible for this and I can't stop it. And then Ellis says this line, he says, um, cause it's implied that he was shot and paralyzed. So that's why he retired. So he says, you know, the guy that shot you died in prison. What would you have done if you got out? And Ellis says, you know, nothing. Like at some point you start trying to get back everything that's taken from you and you realize you can't do it. The best you can do is put a tourniquet on it. And again, this just idea that there's just like a flood of garbage all the time. And um, then, you know, Tommy Lee Jones, like he's this old man. He's retired because he's been defeated by the world, essentially, right, in his mind. And he has his dream the first night after he retires. And the dream is he, you know, he sees his dad and it's cold and it's dark and it's snowy. And, and his dad, uh, he, he passes him and he rides up ahead and he's like, you know, and I know that my dad is going up there to, to light a fire, like to, and the, the implication there is to guide me in some way. Like, what do I do? Where do I go from here? And, um, he says that as soon as he has that realization, he wakes up. And like that to me is like so just like crushingly sad that like um, there's just like nothing you can do, right? To stop at large these forces. And so in my mind, like Sugar represents that tide, right? Just like this, this little ball of evil that just goes around doing horrible things with zero consequence. And in a way... <clears throat> Uh, Llewellyn represents kind of everybody, right? Like it's chasing after everybody, but like all that the majority of people are doing is just like, you know, how can I get my money? How can I uh, get rich? What can I do for myself? Blah, blah, blah. Like he's not actively like trying to, he doesn't want to stop sugar. He just wants to get away from him and, and be carefree essentially. Right. <clears throat> and the, the idea there I think is, it, and like where I say this comes in a dual nature of like you could take it and have it be incredibly sad and soul crushing or you can take it as empowering is whose perspective you take. Right. Do you take uh, Tommy Lee Jones or do you take Ellis and say, um, <clears throat> you know, I, I, I want somebody to guide me. I want to know what I can do to help when like in reality, like you as an individual, like maybe there's not a whole lot you can do. 
But um, Ellis's comment about, you know, eventually you stop trying to get back everything that was taken from you and you just try and put on a tourniquet. And the line interpreted literally would indicate like possessions. But you talk about th- like things being taken from you, it's, you know, it's morals and, and decency and kindness and empathy. And um, instead of trying to get all of that back for society, you just do your best to keep it inside of yourself. Right. And like, that's what you can do. And I don't think that the sheriff really internalizes that. And so that's why I mean, like, I, I think that the ending is so brilliant just cause it is, it's so crushing and it leaves it, it, it leaves it really in the audience's court of like, what are you going to do about this? Because it makes it in, like that, that scene with Ellis, I think is so uh, crucial to what the film wants to communicate. And it, like by having that story take place, you know, 80 years in the past from where the movie is and the movie being made, you know, 40 years in the future from where it takes place. And, but everything is so relatable. Like it, it's communicating, like this is an endless cycle, like things get worse. And if they're not getting worse, it's just that you notice it as you get older. Right. But like all you can do about it is again, try and keep the good things inside of you and help the people around you. I guess. I don't know. And so uh, it's, I think it's a fascinating way to tell that story of having, of showing kind of the microcosm of what the sheriff talks about experiencing over the last 40 years or whatever, right. Of seeing things get crazier and, and worse and, and more dangerous and more unexplainable. And we see that happen as this entire situation between Llewellyn and Sugar just spins out of control. So we see like the last 40 years of the sheriff's life in about a week. And that allows us to follow him on this journey. Again, he's been going on for decades. We follow him with it with a week and Mm -hmm. then see its climax. And, but not even its climax, like just like almost as it's about to climax, the movie ends and we're left with like his dread. And we are left to make the realization that we hope that he will make later on. I don't know. Yeah. I think the other layer with that as well is just that like the movie is like the majority of the movie feels like this fast paced crime action running away all of this stuff and the parts that are really important are the slow monologues that are hard to get through and it's just that same idea that like it's so easy to see everything bad that's going on and be so caught up in just like the fast pace of the world that we can miss and just skip those like slower moments where we can like reflect and actually do something and it's really easy to miss those in this movie and then just be left fully unsatisfied yeah and i guess that's what i mean that's why i say like i think it's a really gutsy movie from the coen brothers but that's i mean that's in their playbook like i feel like inside lewin davis uses um, like not the dual narrative the way that this way this does but like uh, that has an incredibly unsatisfying ending yeah but i love that one so yeah you know i don't know but i guess <laughs> what i mean is like there and even something like you know more lighthearted, obviously but like you mentioned sid with burn after reading mm-hmm. like just a bunch of stuff happening and a really unsatisfying ending and we as the audience are left to pick up the pieces. Yeah. And that's that's a really ballsy way to make films, but I feel like it also is like it, in the end I find it very satisfying mm-hmm. where like the the experience in and of itself might be unsatisfying at first like if you take the time to think about it after the fact, it becomes very satisfying. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. And again, that's where I say, yeah, like the experience of watching it is not the best. Like, I don't love it. But I think that the themes are really important. And I it brings up a lot of great discussion about life and challenges and how to like actually make a difference in the world and what to do about that like all of those themes are really important to talk about and the movie ends in a way that makes you want to talk about them and talk through what you just watched but the actual experience i don't i don't love i suppose that's fair it is because it's my opinion. That's so. true. That's true. <laughs> I can true. say whatever I want. That's true. I want to argue with you about it, but the, uh, there's nothing to argue about. It's just an opinion. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. I know what you'd say. That's all part of the experience. It is You're part supposed to feel that way. You are supposed to feel that way. <laughs> they did it that way on purpose. They did. ask these questions. Yep. I get that. I really, I truly get that. And that's why I say I think it's a really like brilliant movie. But I can't help but not enjoy myself when I watch it. I got a question. Woody Harrelson, what's he doing here? What's the point of his character? I'm not 100% sure. I don't know. I could see it maybe. Well. Like, is he purely just a device to show how unstoppable sugar is? or I could see that. Or it it could be kind of like he's this young i mean we're not even entirely sure what he is but he seems like this young kind of eager um ready to go get this kind of guy um and you can see how easily he's overtaken so maybe it's kind of um kind of reinforcing that idea that is this tide is unstoppable where we see someone who has the energy is obviously smart um knows what he's doing he's trying to stop um sugar and even he can't so i don't know if it's that or i honestly am not entirely sure that's what i would think but yeah i don't know i kind of feel like maybe he's like representative like I don't know, like each character going out after the money is representative of different like areas of life. And maybe he's representative of like corporations and their hold on. Maybe. Money. See that. I don't know. What about the car crash at the end? What does that mean? Why have him get in a car crash? Sometimes things just happen. Yeah. <laughs> like you might be feeling good and you're you're doing things and everything seems to be going right for you and well but i mean specifically in relation to sugar right where he as a character is so representative of of an idea Mm -hmm. well i really think it's that though because his idea like part of his character is chance you know just flip a coin what's going to happen i guess so and a car crash like that is feels like so random like maybe we can't take down evil but like sometimes something will just happen to stop it i don't know yeah, like like random things like that don't like it doesn't happen to you because you're good or bad. It just happens, mm-hmm. and that just it just happened to him. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I'd be curious to 
ponder on that one a little bit more. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you're on the right track. I think like not directly related to the car crash, but while you were talking just a few minutes ago, thinking back on the two teenage boys and how the one kid was just like, he was offering to pay him, but he was like, I'll just, you can just have my shirt. Um, and thinking about how you were talking about how like people, all people are after is money or, you know, get to the next, next thing, be free. Um, so I don't know if maybe they, I'm sure it wasn't, they put the car crash in there to have this interaction you see with these kids, but I'm sure it came about from it. Um, because you see this kid, he's like totally, um, selfless, willing to give a shirt off his back to the stranger. Right. Which has its own implications. Yeah. Like, And then he gives him the money and then the one friend's like, oh, half of that's mine. And then he gets possessive of the money that he didn't even want in the first place yeah and then it also feels like a callback to the jacket being bought Mm -hmm. on the border yeah like yeah that's true i don't know like that that's what i thought of it like put the two men in the same position to me Mm -hmm. okay that's an interest that's that's a cool parallel and even like i guess to extend that theme of like you know people and how fast they get greedy uh you know buys the jacket for 500 bucks and then asks for the beer and the guy's like how much you give me for it yeah like mm-hmm. what a dick but there is like the one friend who has reason and is like just give it to him right like mm-hmm. who cares yeah I don't, I don't know if that's just like i mean we do see this friend as like he's worried about um is it lou how do you llewellyn. say llewellyn. llewellyn i keep wanting to say sue ellen um <laughs> Like, he's asking him, like, did you get in a car accident? So, it's the same friend, but it's kind of, is he scared of the guy? Or is he, like, genuinely worried about him? Yeah. You know? It's a good question. More questions that the movie leaves us with. It's true. I mean, I give my diatribe. I don't know that I have anything else to say. (laughs) Well, do we think that... What's her name died? Yes. Oh, almost. I'm sure she yeah, died. for sure. Yeah. She has to, right? <laughs> like, because again, she represents kind of the innocence of humanity. Well, and then maybe that is another reason for the car crash. Like, he finally karma. went. He finally went too far. Yeah, like everybody else that he's been chasing were also maybe not the best people. Um, not excusing them being murdered. Well, sure. But like, we she don't endorse murder here did nothing wrong and just wanted to live her life and he just couldn't let it go that she was alive that's an interesting bend i like that and it's just karma like i like that so what he doesn't i guess literally if he doesn't kill her it does get the car wreck because that's a like down to the second timing kind of thing right yeah it's like literally if he just leaves or if he's not there yeah yeah, if he just never went there, he wouldn't have gone in a car accident, which obviously didn't kill him, but like... He got a bone sticking out of his arm. Yeah. That's hard to fix without going to the hospital. He'll find a way. Will he? Maybe he dies. Maybe. From a broken arm. <laughs> I mean, he could easily get infected and blah, blah, blah. So. Yeah, like he's not the kind of person I think who would go to a hospital. No. Yeah. That's interesting. I don't know. 
Are you just thinking about the bone, Sid? Yeah. I see your face. So I'm really gross. grossed out right now. <laughs> that gets you. We watched freaking Raw last week and yeah. a little bone gets you. And then I was also thinking about um, the movie Crawl with the alligators. There's like a scene where... Dude, I never saw that. I heard it was pretty good. It's fine. It's like, it's stupid, but... Well, it's, sure. It's fun. But like, there's a scene where a guy is like making his own splint and I, like, I, like I can watch Raw and but broken bones gross me out so much like watching midsummer the part with the old man worst part of the movie that's pretty bad like for me it's teeth i can't do teeth yeah i can see teeth and bones it's just like anytime everybody's popping out teeth i freak the freak out gross or like in casino royale where he smashes his balls with the like stone ball on a on a rope I don't think I've actually seen that. Oh, really? Yeah. So he gets James Bond in a in a room and he's got a hole cut in the bottom of a wicker chair and he ties him to the chair and he gets like oh. this like stone ball on the end of a rope and starts like <laughs> underneath and like oh my god running to his balls Ouch. and then James Bond goes and has sex with the lead like ten minutes later so <laughs> that's and just totally fine <laughs> just totally fine yeah they also cut out the scene where he's bleeding profusely right where his testicles are just crushed like. <laughs> But he eats it. I mean, he just takes it. Yikes. Takes it like a man. Remember when Javier Bardem was in this uh, Bond movie? Oh, yeah. That was weird. Yeah. Forgot about that. He's a good actor. He's really good. He's a very good actor. Oh, yeah. Has he won anything else? Uh, no, he's just won the one. Was he nominated for anything? Uh, He was nominated for Beautiful, for mm. No Country for Old Men, and Before Night Falls. I've seen Beautiful. He's very good in that. I've heard. Very depressing. Because that's in your too, right? Yeah. yeah. Hmm. All right. Well, any other thoughts? Nope. Why don't you hit us with that trivia? Okay. Okay. Starting off. Um, so Josh Brolin broke his shoulder um, just two days after getting the part in the film. And he said that as he was flying over the car um, that hit him, he said, and I will censor this, um, he said, effing shit, I really wanted to work with the Coens. <laughs> like, that's exactly what I said. But um, come to find out, like, his character is shot in the shoulder, so they kind of, like, worked it into it. Okay. So it ended up good. Um, so I thought this one was really interesting. So in the novel, Sheriff Bell says, dope dealers... Um, here a while back in San Antonio they shot and killed a federal judge um, the book was set in 1980 and in 1979 a federal judge um, John Howland Wood was shot and killed in San Antonio by a freelance contract killer Charles Harrelson Woody Harrelson's father wait what? yeah Woody Harrelson's dad was a hitman are you serious? Yeah. wow yeah Goodness gracious. That's that, a deep cut. Yeah. I that one was so weird. I need to look into this guy it's more. Great yeah. trivia. Yeah. Amazing. I was, uh, as soon as he said Harrelson, I was like, oh, is that why they cast Woody Harrelson? Yeah, me too. <laughs> um so when they ap- approached Javier Bardem, he said, I don't drive, I speak bad English, and I hate violence. And the Cohen said, That's why we called you to play Sugar. Jeez. Um when they were figuring out um Sugar's hairstyle, they 
um, looked at a photo of a brothel patron from 1970. No. Oh, okay. Um, in 1979, and Javier Bardem said, "Oh no, now I won't get laid for the next two months." And that's how the Coens knew that they had the perfect fit. <laughs> he seems like a funny guy. I'm sure he is. Um. So also linking to PTA. At the same time that they were filming this, that they were filming There Will Be Blood. Oh, and, and didn't the oil well scene uh-huh. like screw with the production yeah. of No Country for Old yeah, Men? Yeah, I think they were just um, making sure that the oil well scene was going to work out. Um, but they had to stop filming No Country for Old Men for a whole day while the smoke just dissipated. That's <laughs> such a great scene, though. That's hilarious. Um, so in an article... A group of psychiatrists studied 400 movies and identified 126 psychopathic characters. They chose Anton Chigurh as the most clinically accurate portrayal of a psychopath. Hmm. That's terrifying. Yeah. That is terrifying. Um, This is the second film in history to share an Academy Award for Best Director between two directors. Um, The last one was for West Side Story, and normally they just do this... It makes it easier but um they allowed this because the coen brothers are obviously a um pre-established duo yeah. before doing this because they're brothers um the case that held the money in this film is the same case used for the money in fargo fantastic movie you gotta watch it yeah i do need to see that the accents amazing um francis mcdormand won for that right I think so. Yeah. She was at least nominated. Um, Javier Bardem was the first Spanish actor to win an Oscar with this one. Um, and this movie is actually very um, close to the actual novel. Um, but unlike many of the Cohen movies where there are a lot of loquacious characters... What the heck does loquacious, loquacious. mean? I only know it because um, of Harry Potter... And I wouldn't have actually said it if it wasn't in this quote. But it just means people who talk a lot. Oh. Um, but they decreased the amount of dialogue from the book to the movie. Okay, that makes sense. And apparently in the novel we find out at the end that Shigur is working for someone the whole time and delivers the money to them. I'm glad they left that out. Yeah, I think it works better for the movie. Yeah. But that is everything. Well, right on. All right, well, let's get into this. Becca, your final thoughts and score out of 10 for the Coen Brothers, No Country for Old Men. All right. Um, I don't think I have many more thoughts. I I feel like I still stand where I stand. I think it's a great movie. I don't love it. (laughs) So I'm going to give it an 8 out of 10. Sid. Um, I like this significantly more than the last time I watched it. Um, I think it's pretty obvious I need to watch it again to actually understand what any of it was about. Um, But I'm going to give this one an 8.5. All right. Um, Where I'm on the whole numbers train, I don't think this does quite enough to push it way up to the top. So this one gets a 9 from me. I think I might be jumping on board the whole numbers train, or at least half numbers. Yeah, I'm going half numbers, I think. That sticks us right at an even 8.5, putting this movie in the company of such gems. Well, actually, it's the only exactly 8.5 that we have. Hmm. Why did it not actually get drugged down? Where did it go? What just happened to this? Oh, okay. Um, 
But yeah. So uh, let's jump into other topics then. We covered a lot of the movie news at the top of the show. Um, and Becca and I have literally just been watching Twin Peaks. Yes. We finally got true. the we finally got season three. So we've been uh, getting through that. We're about a third of the way through. As soon as we finish that, we can get back into watching movies. But yep. it's just all Twin Peaks all day. And it's great. It's amazing. Se- season three is so freaking good. It's just so weird. I love it. It's so good, but it's so weird. Yeah, that's a that's a wacky one for sure. I need to finish the third season. I feel bad, but you guys are motivating me. It's really good. Dude. I mean, I'm again, we're a third of the way through, but I'm I'm loving it. I yeah. love Lynch's visual style. Mm-hmm. I'm super stoked after we finish Twin Peaks to go watch a bunch of his movies. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Um, well, I rewatched her. Yes. And that hurt, but it was very good. Oh, what a great movie. So good. Oh, um, actually, uh, just for, uh, those of you who are unfamiliar, um, only because Becca is a stickler, mm-hmm. uh, her is actually tied for the top rated film that this podcast has ever talked about. I just need to watch it again. I think it's 10, but I, that was the first time I'd seen it. Yeah. Both tree of life and her are rated, uh, 9.8 on the Western scale. So, if you haven't seen her... Well, let's watch it again and watch it it and listen to our episode. And cry. The film is brilliant. Our episode is quite good. Oh. (laughs) Well, yeah. Yeah, Our episode's good. Maybe you'll cry. Yeah. You should. (laughs) Um, And then I watched Gretel and Hansel. Oh, the new one? Yeah. It was very pretty, but it was very boring i I think that that one benefited really heavily from us seeing it in a theater that's what i remember you guys telling me and so when my mom wanted to watch it like i made sure like it was as dark as possible but it just like it it didn't make up for it my review was this is very pretty but very not good it's gorgeous it's gorgeous but that dude needs a screenwriter yeah for sure um and then i watched the assassination of jesse james by the coward robert ford and it was so good i'm very interested in that it was really good um same year as no country for old men also cinematographer roger deakins there's this one sequence in the beginning where it's like they're in the forest and all you see is this bright train light just like going across all the bandits oh my gosh chef kiss beautiful most beautiful thing i'm I'm very interested maybe i'll just i actually i'll do like a small amazon movie binge yeah and just like pick up a bunch of coen brothers and that one just to get it on the shelf so we'll actually watch it yeah because i'm sure that it's good it was very good yeah i really really like that one um and then i rewatched parasite still amazing yep love it great um did you like with your family or i watched it with some friends oh okay um they're still processing it so and then i watched synecdoche new york which was I'm still trying to process it. It's a, it's so weird. I want to give it a shot. I watched it. I, I started to watch it uh, probably five years ago mm-hmm. and I got about halfway through and I was like, I have no effing clue what's happening. Yeah. It's super weird. It's kind of just one of those movies that you just have to accept that there are things that you don't understand that they're just not going to explain. Um, so it's definitely one that like I'm going to need to watch some YouTube videos on because I just don't understand the whole point of it. But performances are excellent. Philip Seymour Hoffman is fantastic in it. As as he does. Yes. Because um, that's how Philip Seymour Hoffman do. It's true. R.I.P. And or did I suppose? Yeah. <laughs> um, super weird. But yeah, if if you're kind of into 
like I really enjoyed it and I did not enjoy being John Malkovich that much so I think I need to give that one a rewatch now I quite enjoyed being John Malkovich yeah I, I love liked it a lot. that one yeah I don't know I think I just need to it's it's uh, bizarre yeah to the I just, extreme I don't think I was totally ready for it so I think maybe I'll have to give that one a rewatch but yeah that's pretty much everything I'm watching the last avatar which is fun never seen it yeah, that's one that we were talking about last night with my sister that I think we need to pick up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think we can get through it fairly quickly. Yeah. yeah. All right. Anything else that we want to talk about? I don't think so. Just re-up on our love for uh, Robert Pattinson and Paul Thomas Anderson. Mm-hmm. Except for Becca, who doesn't love Paul Thomas Anderson. Yep. Get out. Get out. Um, no, thank no. you. But that's it, I think, right? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Well, if you want to get in touch with us, you can do so. Contact at wewatchpodcast.com. Or you can hit us up on any social media site at We Watch Podcast. Uh, we will uh, we'll get back to you if you if you write into us. Uh, we would love to discuss any questions that you have on the air. Um, but and otherwise, we take requests. Yeah, we movies. do. We do take requests. So um, that's it, though. We thank you. We love you. We appreciate you. I'm Andrew. I'm Becca. I'm Sid. And we'll catch you on the next one. Bye. See ya.